Script, episode 61,400. No, I think it's just 61. Um, it's just been a long time, so I think every episode's just... Yeah, I don't know. I don't keep count. It's probably going to be episode 40 or something. I think we're just going to go with 61. We're just new... Maybe every episode I should just have a, just a <laughs> random number generator tell me what number it is. What do you think? We, we can count primes like in Foundation. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Yes, we can count primes. Um, that, of course, is the sultry voice of the co-host of the day, Nick Nisi. Hoi, oh, hoi. There we go. <laughs> um, are, you, are you liking the Dune? I you like the Dune love movie? the Dune. I normally, I don't feel like I have enough time really lately like with small kids and stuff to watch movies more than once but i have already watched dune twice i made sure before it left hbo that i watched it again did but how many times have you seen frozen countless times (laughs) see so i feel like you do have enough time because nick you're just sitting there watching frozen you could have been watching other things but you were watching that's true but if i could use uh the what is it is it the oh i forgot the the Bene Gesserit voice on my kids to get them to okay, watch yes, that, yes. then I totally would. But yeah. instead, they have the Bene Gesserit okay. voice to say, Frozen. And <laughs> <laughs> Frozen. <laughs> like, ah, okay. <laughs> it's Frozen. It's going on. <laughs> yes. Yes. Putting Frozen on. <laughs> Destroy yourself. Okay. <laughs> I already have. My body and soul are basically not existent anymore. <laughs> it's too real. Yeah. No, I get it. It's, yeah. Um, Yeah, so today on this episode, we are going to do a little bit of talking, but we're also going to do an interview with uh, Josh Goldberg of Codecademy, Um, so I'm very excited. But before we get to our first interview, um, I was reading, I think it was on Reddit, because that's the only site I go to on the internet anymore, (laughs) um, I think. And, uh, you know, like, you know, I think, uh, so like Nate Bargatze is a stand-up comedian, and he had a thing where he's like, uh, his bit was like... uh, you know, Facebook is like for when you want, like the Twitter is for like when you want other people to tell you how stupid you are, like strangers. But then like Facebook is for when you want friends and family to tell you how stupid you are. <laughs> um, I feel like um, I was on Reddit though, because it kind of gives you that, uh, you know, at least some people got your back every now and again. Um, and there was a thing about um, keeping up with the Joneses basically. And this is not a new topic. But it's funny that it just gets recycled every couple of years where I think people who are maybe newer to the industry come in and go, oh, man, this is crazy. How am I supposed to keep up with all this different stuff? And then there's people who are like, yeah, I quit the industry because I couldn't deal with it anymore. And it's basically two full time jobs keeping up with everything, um, you know, and then there's other people that are kind of take a different approach to things and are kind of more like hey, just know the basics and specialize in one thing. Or if you know it, you can pick up other mm-hmm. things. Um, and, you know, it kind of got me thinking about the different ways people approach this because it does seem like some people just have a, you know, and obviously there's work pressures and different pressures that, I, you know, my experience is much different than theirs. So if they're in a, in, you know, in a situation where they're feeling like I have to always be up on this stuff, then that's, you know, that's their experience, not mine. But, you know, I was curious as to how, You've been doing this for what, 28, 30 years now, it looks like. Just just going by our graying hair, I'm thinking that this is where we've been doing this for a real long mm-hmm. time. And we just got called old. Well, actually, you all hear it later. We get, we get, I think, I think we get, it's inferred we're yes. old. Um, 
but um, and it's fine because we are. I mean, I'm almost 40 now. So, you know, I've been doing this since I was 18 or 16, really. Um, started the company when I was 18. So um, I anyway, I'm just curious kind of what. Yeah. No, go ahead. Right. No, no, no. You now. <laughs> I, you can't go well uh, and then not expect me to stop. I was going to say I barely had the internet when I was 18. Oh, yeah. boy. I first used the internet when 1993 or four. Mm. My dad had CompuServe. Nice. Um, yeah, it was really great because if you wanted to chat with somebody, it was really cool. So you, you had to pay per minute to do that. <laughs> just number one. Um, but number two, uh, you actually just had a random, your email address was like just a random number. Like they're kind of taking the phone number approach, but I think there might have been 16 digits. Like it was <sighs> not a thing you could memorize. Um, so I absolutely remember that is that you'd be like chatting with someone and it's just like six, four, one, three, two, one, eight, four, two at CompuServe. That's who you're talking <laughs> to. Um, then my mom got, uh, my mom worked with for AT&T or it then became a via or something. And so she got the internet, like she had a free AT&T world net plan that they just gave every employee. And so I had the internet in 1994. And so I was 11. Um, I remember searching for things that it didn't come up with, um, it didn't have search results. Like you would search for something. Well, first off, search didn't really exist. You'd go to like Yahoo and stuff. But like, and they had like, uh, if people don't know, Yahoo used to just be a directory, <laughs> like a phone book. So you'd go in and you would just click through. But I remember searching for things in the early searching and you would search like something very common. Like we had a, a, a dog that was a chow chow. So typed in chow chow and it literally just came back. The search result was like no results found. Like, could you even imagine right now? The only time I ever get a search result that's not found is when I accidentally like paste a long string of text into Google and Google and it's like a URL with some text and some random. It's like Google's like, I don't know what this is. Like, or like I in Figma, I'll copy something and then I'll accidentally hit paste in Google later. And so it just like paste all this random stuff and Google's like, I don't know what you're doing. You're you're doing something wrong. It's the only time I get anything. Um anyway, with all that. I guess, what is your perspective on how things have changed and how they've stayed the same and this whole topic of keeping up with the latest and greatest? Like, is that even, is it possible? And is that even a goal, in your opinion, that you should have? Mm. My opinions have changed on this, I think, a lot over the years. I used to think that I had to keep on top of everything, like right out of college and, you know, jumping into things. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. And so I was just trying to keep up with everything. And I would try and be on, you know, all the sites all the time and really just trying to, you know, do a bunch of stuff in my free time or uh, do a bunch of learning in my free time that was like directly related to my work. And then I had kids and I didn't have free time anymore. You didn't yeah. have free time. And so I really had to prioritize yep. and change like how I approach that. But also like came to the realization that the things that are hyped are not always popular or even worth looking at right away because they're not, they may not be long for this world. Like you have to, you, you can really pick and choose if you decide to wait to see if something has a little bit of staying power because you might hear about something totally amazing and within a month it's gone. Nobody uses it, knows about it, talks about it. And then you have other things like, I don't know, React, right? That I, I thought that React would be like that in 2013. And uh, here we are. It's pretty popular in 2021. Oh, do people use that? I think still? so. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I wasn't. I it doesn't have that. staying power like Dojo. Um, Dojo's been around for. Or like or Vim. Or like Vim. <laughs> yeah, Vim has some staying power <laughs> for sure. Um, 
Yeah, so I kind of feel like it's a really weird kind of... I don't think it's so like... A lot, one of the biggest things is that I don't... This is not a new feeling. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's kind of one of the things is that in a, most industries, there's kind of more of a static... You learn this and you... Like law, right? Like there's not a whole lot new going on there um, except for novel challenges to well-established law from places like Texas, um, <laughs> really not getting a lot of new, new creative things going right. on. You know, people are stabbing, people are suing. It's all the same. Not much is changing. So you learn that you learn it real good. And then there's some new stuff that comes along. Like, you know, now there is cyber security and things like that, where there's kind of new branches of law that are kind of coming. So again, I'm not a lawyer, so don't at me. Okay. At me. I'd actually be really curious to know, but the point is, in general, a lot of the stuff's very similar. Um, but then in tech, you know, it does, it evolves so quickly. But I think that that's kind of the thing is that how much of it's an evolution. Mm-hmm. And I am definitely always been of the opinion that like, well, a lot of the best engineers that, that I've worked with have been very versatile um, in in what they do. Like they will be very passionate about it and very curious and they kind of know how everything kind of works. Um, and even if you don't know the syntax of how this specific thing works, you know, like they could probably quickly ramp up and kind of to your point that things that you think aren't going to be that interesting turn out to be the big thing. And then things that you think are interesting, maybe just fade mm-hmm. away. Um, it does seem like there is a lag time between this time at which you hear about something and everyone starts talking about it and this buzz is creating, you're like, Oh, I got to get on this right now. And then the practical, okay, I actually need to learn this because we're using it now for mm-hmm. real, you know, and there's this lag time between that. But I can definitely, definitely feel that anxiety of like, well, what if I get, you know, what if I have to find a job and they're all using this other tool and I've never used that before. And here I am, I know all about this tool that now no mm, one uses, yeah. you know, I can definitely feel that, that stressor. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of a weird thing, right? Like, I don't know. I, I haven't experienced it personally. so <laughs> I've definitely know. experienced it. And so one of the the big benefits of like my time at SitePen, and one thing that I really enjoyed was the the ability to work on so many different varying projects. And, you know, we, we had a lot of different contracts that we would like go on to or projects that we'd go on to. And I'd be doing Dojo on one or React on one or Angular. And oftentimes I would have to like, kind of spin up and become a quote unquote expert on it pretty quickly yeah. to be able to go. And one of the things that really like helped as like a mantra was that I would just tell myself is like, it's just JavaScript. I know the fundamentals. So like picking up, you know, the flavor that I'm using here for um, Angular versus React, like it's for the most part, the same thing. And it's using the underlying, you know, best practices of it that kind of carry across all of them. Uh, and same thing with like TypeScript. I feel like I've gotten pretty far just based on like having a deep understanding of how types work and things like that. And like, you know, that fundamental language piece rather than like any specific framework. Um, but specializing in those is is good too. Uh, but like, you know, understanding that being on top of what new features are coming in the language and how I might apply them and when I can apply them based on like configuration and things like that, that can take you really far. And, um, and then it, like, it's just building off of the fundamentals from there. And when you want to build off of the fundamentals, like one really good way, in my opinion, to do that is to get paid to do it. (laughs) And so that was like another big benefit, right? It'd be like, oh, I have to spin up on Angular. Well, I'm going to get paid to do that because I'm like, that's my job now. So I have to do it. And like, there's 
the motivation, the underlying motivation that I need to stick with it. There's, you know, a project that I actually need to do. Like, that's another big thing. I can't just be like, oh, I'm going to read about, you know, JSX, JSX syntax or something. Yeah. And, you know, not really have any application for it. It's like if I have a, I'm going to read about it and I'm going to apply it to create, I don't know, this component or a blog or something like that. Like having that, an actual project to try my hand at uh, and and get familiar with those pieces really helps for, for me to be motivated to do it and for it to help sink in. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, a lot of the things that I was seeing people talking about have been that they're feeling like, well, at work, I'm supposed to just get this work done. And then at, on my off hours, I'm frantically trying to understand more and learn more. And, you know, so I'm basically just spending, you know, just as much time as I am at work on what would be my free time, just trying mm -hmm. to learn how to do this stuff so that I can go back to work and do it there. And then it changes. And then now they want to use this other thing. And, you know, and it, to that, it's, you know, that's almost like it's a separate, it's really not a tech question. You know, that's more of a, um, you know, a advocacy for yourself and your time question, right? It's, 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 if you have a job that's telling you, you need to do this and that's not a skill set you have, then that is on your employer to give you the time and the support to learn that, you know, like, and if they don't mm -hmm. want to do that, I can, you know, people may feel like, well, then they could just let me go and find someone else. But, you know, right now, um, there are, there is a, <laughs> yeah. it's hard to hire really good developers. It is difficult. Um, yes. and, you know, I think that advocating for yourself is very important in those situations um, because absolutely you should not be spending what precious little free time you have in life, um, unfortunately, learning more stuff. Now, if you want to and you're like super into it and it's just something that you're passionate about, go for it, you know, but definitely oh, yeah, that, absolutely. That feeling like, oh, well, I have to or, oh, boy, these best developers, they spent all their time doing this. It's like, yeah, you know what? I think both of us went through that in our 20s where we went through it and just... <laughs> Right. Whether we were doing it, like I did it out of passion a lot. Like I would just, yeah. I would be sitting around and be like, hey, you know what would be cool? If I could um, use uh, in Adium, you know, I could make like a better chat theme, you know? And so I did. Like I spent yeah. like a few weeks doing that. And like, you know, I made one of the top chat themes and then they put it in Ubuntu and like this other stuff. And it was just a passion project. Like nice. it was just fun, right? Like it was just whatever. But then, you know, over time, it's like, yeah, if you're not, you know, if someone came to me and was like, hey, I need you to learn this whole thing and do it. And by the way, I'm not going to give you time. You just need to know it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like a non-starter. Just whether I had kids or not, exactly. it's a non-starter uh, if you're telling me oh, I have absolutely. to do it. <laughs> like, absolutely. Yeah. And I would I would see that as a red flag if they're, yeah. if, if there's, if you don't feel like you can uh, ask dumb questions or learn on the job, that's a huge red flag, yeah. I think. Yeah, absolutely. So. If someone came, we're Absolutely. like, hey, we need yeah. you to write this in Rust. Do you know coding? It's like, no. Yeah. No, it's not the same thing. <laughs> right. You know, if someone... And if you... Yeah. It's exactly like you said. If you're worried that they're going to replace you with, with someone who can, uh, not right now. They're not. Not right now. <laughs> That's for damn sure. And you know what? If they're going to, go for it, you know, because you're probably... Yeah. There's a better situation exactly. out there for you. And I think that's a big takeaway. Yeah. Having been in this industry, running a company, doing consulting... You know, there's definitely times where we, you know, we'll, we'll be like, hey, could you do this? Do you know? And this one was like, well, I've dabbled with it before. And it's like, okay, well, we're just going to build in the time then that you're <laughs> going to need, you know, or we'll turn away a customer. We're like, yeah, we really can't do that because we don't know how to do this. Like, that's not really our mm -hmm. core strength. But if you want us to learn and ramp up, I, we, our people can do it. It's just going to take a little more effort, you know. And so, mm -hmm. you know, definitely one of those things to watch out for is uh, companies stealing your time like that. And I think that you know, to me, 
the idea of needing to stay up all the time on all the latest and greatest things is not something that's worth pursuing, but that, you know, mm-hmm. keeping up on things is important. And if you're in a job in which you feel like your skills are stagnating, then that's kind of a different question too, right? And, and if you're feeling like, I want to jump ship, but I can't because I don't know how these skill set, well, then, you know, that that is a different question, you know, and that is something where you kind of have to make that decision of, do you want to spend your off hours working on this? Is there a way that you could suggest that you learn this in your current situation and you know maybe Mm -hmm. that's something that's possible but yeah i just thought it was an interesting interesting take and it was good to hear your take on that yeah and i'm curious uh how it is on the uh, like the other side with like you know design and and the tools around that and you know, I, I feel like there's a lot of just staying up on like, what are the current trends? Like, yeah, like, sorry, Tori, the, uh, you know, your, your awesome gradient isn't really, it's not really in style. Uh, or, anymore. Or your, yeah. Yeah. Or what's, what's that called? Uh, that Apple used to be, I can't remember. Uh, skewmorphic. Before iOS 7. Skewmorphic. Yeah. 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 You're an expert at skewmorphism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's an interesting thing because it's, it is, it's similar it's very similar to that whole thing, right? Where you have this idea, like, first off, I think there's, there's a, I, I feel constantly like a, um, like a, like a young girl going to the store in the checkout line and seeing all the beautiful airbrushed women in magazines whenever I go to like dribble.com. Yeah. Um, because I sit there and I stare at those and it's like, your just initial impression is God, they look so beautiful and I'm ugly and this is gross. Like everything I'm making is not good. This is terrible. Um, but then, you know, as you kind of gain perspective, you go, well, these dribble designs and redesigns aren't actually solving real world problems. You know, like they didn't have to meet with stakeholders and go through these processes. They just made something that looks real nice, you know. Um, so you kind of have to balance that. But, you know, it's trends. I feel like they they kind of just move slower in some ways like you Mm -hmm. see them coming um when you get like a google or you know someone pushing out um a certain style you start to kind of see the trends start to move um and yeah it doesn't feel you know there's definitely i think that one of the bigger things is that unlike code or maybe like code i'm actually not sure you know you'll design something and then a year and a half later it's like yeah we have to redesign this now no, nothing's changed about it. Like, it'd be like if someone's like, hey, you know that code that's perfectly working in production? We just need to rewrite it now. Like, just just rewrite it. And it's like, well, why? It's like, yeah. um, because now we like to use things just slightly different. But it's like, but it works. And it's like, yep. But I think that's kind of the same thing with like hooks and things like that, where all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're, we're using hooks now. So uh, we're re- rewriting everything in that or redoing it in this. But I think the same thing kind of happens to design where you know, something that looked fresh and cool when you did it is no longer relevant. Um, but right. but I feel like that's just a design process. Like it's just a constantly evolving thing. The hardest part is to not get um, pigeonholed into one style or to be able to adapt yeah. and steal, you know, like honestly mm-hmm. trying to replicate things that you really like. Um, and that's just kind of a design process as it is. Like you just kind of, you don't start from a blank space. You, you, you start from looking at things that you like and trying to replicate them. And then you end up making your own style because you don't quite get it right. You kind of do it differently or there's different things, but there also is another aspect of it where it is much more like code. And that is, um, things around things like say atomic design, right? So we have like responsive design stuff, you know, happening. And then, you know, we have atomic Mm -hmm. design and all these things. And, you know, these are kind of more conceptual shifts in, in thinking about things. 
But honestly, a lot of it's just, it's, it's very similar to your thing where you're like, oh, it's just JavaScript. It's just the flavor of JavaScript. Well, it's like, yeah, like you're talking about these components and you're talking about how you can better break them up and using, you know, and it's, it's really just codifying something a lot of people were already doing. It's just giving it a name and codifying it and saying, hey, if you're doing this, maybe abstract it a little bit differently. But it's not terribly different from what we're already, at least me personally, it's not different from what I was already doing. So it wasn't a hard leap to go, oh, okay, yeah. And, you know, like a lot of things, you don't really follow it to a T. You go, oh, you know, best practices is this, but also my deadline is tomorrow. So don't really care about best practices right at this moment. You know, I'm going to get this out the door. Yeah. So, Would you, like, I don't know really much of anything about this, but like, you know, one really popular kind of design would it be a design system is like material yeah. UI yeah. or is it, is that a design system yeah. or is it like a, it's like a design similar. It's a design system, but also it's kind of a unique design system in that it's, it's made to be used and modified by others. Whereas most design okay. systems are very specific to the cus the company that makes them. So right. um, like Twitter boots. Yeah, exactly. Like Twitter. <laughs> well, honestly, yeah. Like, um, they kind of make them for their own needs. Like GitHub, um, you know, a yeah. lot of these companies have a design system that they use. Um, Salesforce has Lightning as their design system. It's called Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very specific to Salesforce. You look at their examples, their layouts, their components. It's Salesforce. That's what it's made for people who are designing things that live inside of Salesforce. Um, whereas mm-hmm. Material, it's made for people to build things for Android or, you know, the Google Android ecosystem necessarily. Um, but it's not necessarily mm-hmm. like just for one product. So it is slightly different. Just just on a tangent there <laughs> just to answer your question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I was just curious, like with design systems like that or like, you know, like we use Material UI. Um, and, but it, I can't say that it necessarily looks a ton like material UI, like we've modified it a lot and things like that. Uh, Like you said that you can do. And I was curious from like a design standpoint, if you ever feel like creatively constrained by those design systems, because it's like, Oh, especially if you just like, you know, cloning material UI for the first time Mm -hmm. and you're like, well, I'm going to change this button to be slightly different, but it's still mostly like a material. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, yeah. You know, you might think that, but it's actually, in my opinion, really nice to have a framework of things that you can start solving problems versus having to build components that already you know you need. Like, okay, I already know I need buttons. I already know I need checkboxes mm-hmm. and toggles, and I know I need font sizes, and I know, you know, I need all these things. I need color schemes. Creating all that stuff is really hard. Um, if you've never done it, it's really much harder than you might think it would be to create a type scale. Um, and in like a color system, especially if you're gonna go dark and light, you know, and you you need mm-hmm. to have an easily swappable thing. That's actually really hard to do. Um, and so it's really nice that Google spent a ton of time working on this stuff, um, coming up with shadows mm-hmm. and all these different states. But um, it it can feel constraining. Uh, the new material, the material three or material now, I don't know what they're calling it, material UI three or whatever it is, um, is actually kind of nice because it is much more. Um, customizable like it's made to be more customizable whereas initially yeah it was very much like if you had a material thing it looked like material like it didn't look different um, but it's really nice to have those interactive patterns um, and kind of ways in which things should reflow but the interesting thing about material is really that um, it prescribes a lot about how containers should work and a lot about how navigation should work and some really basic stuff 
but then it kind of leaves everything up to you. So really, though you might say, oh, well, it's material, like it's giving you some guidance as to the basic um, grid system and the basic layout and when it becomes, like how responsive works. But then all mm -hmm. the stuff inside of an app is up to you to put and how you put it. And so it's actually, it's nice to have those components, but it's not telling you where you have to put them all. It's giving you some guidance and saying, hey, you sh if you're doing something like a list, make it like this. If you're doing something like this, do it like this. But then, you know, I, I've created stuff where I'm like, oh, I'm going to use material and it'll be so much faster. And it, and it wasn't any faster. Like, it's just faster. That I didn't have to create those <laughs> widgets. But man, the amount of stuff I had to create yeah. inside of it definitely was not faster. Like, it did not help me at all. Because, <laughs> oh, have you ever tried to use material to make a medical billing system? Well, guess what? No one else had either. So here you go. You know, <laughs> you know figure it out. Yeah. So <laughs> That's awesome. And then I have one other question. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about your opinion on it uh, or if you even have an opinion and that's Tailwind. Mm -hmm. Have you looked at that much at all? Man, it's like you just you just threw a softball right to me because I had just I just had <laughs> seriously to my um, designers at SitePen and I. So it was interesting as I just read an article about the about Tailwind. Now, when I say an article, I mean yeah. the article, like the one where the guy who created Tailwind, oh, yeah. he you know wrote the initial thing about it like four years ago, whenever it was. And I never read it. Oh, okay. I never read it. I actually saw a Reddit post where someone's like, "Is this what is this what web development has become?" And they showed this you know this div tag with uh, class equals and then just like fifty classes added. And yep. I was just cringing. And then I read someone <laughs> and they're like, hey, you should probably read the article about like, the, first off, this person didn't know what this was, right? They were like, what is this? Uh -huh. Someone's like, oh, it's Tailwind, which I knew. Yeah, I'm like, that's Tailwind. So yeah, I know that. Um, and then they said, yeah, you should go read this article. So I, you know what? I, I was like, I don't know, it was like one in the morning. I was like, wait, I'm like, yeah, I'll go read that article. And the more I read it, the more I realized that this is not as crazy as it seems. And actually, yeah. I started to kind of understand because there was a lot. So I brought it to my design room uh, in Slack because it was so similar to how designers like us build components that it was mm -hmm. actually almost like, you know, this just makes total sense. Like that everything's abstracted down into these little things. Like we do that all the time with our components. We abstract things down to these really small things. And those are like the like the helper classes that that tailwind's talking about um mm -hmm. so you know like i said it, i was talking about to, to my team about it and i said i don't actually have a real opinion about tailwind in and of itself about that because from my point of view saying to developers look however you think like you do you i don't know i don't have an opinion because this isn't what i do all day i don't write code i don't know the best way to organize styles and all that like i've written css i can write css pretty well but as far as architecting a large system. I don't know if that's the best approach or not. I don't know. But I did mm -hmm. find it was very interesting reading the thought process behind it and that this idea is, hey, and this is, we had this in Dojo like years ago, like decades ago at this point, talking about, people talking about semantic markup and we're annoyed with Dojo because Dojo had put things into markup that were not actual. So this was back before like having your own, like overloading. Data Dojo. Yeah, the, the Dodo. Yep. Yeah, so and before that, there was no data dash. So we had our own thing that was just like um, the own uh, class names that were, weren't real. Mm -hmm. They were not class names. Are they own properties on, on a tag? Yeah. And people were losing their minds because this is like, that's not semantic HTML or blah, blah, blah. And it's not you know proper. And it's just like, who cares? You're not, mm -hmm. you're not making a document. You're making an application. You're hacking this structure that's made for displaying text documents and styling text documents into a system to build applications. So 
Just accept mm-hmm. that it doesn't do that. And people were losing their minds at us. They, that's not okay. And then, of course, everyone's like, well, how else are we going to do it? And then, that, you know, that becomes like a standard thing. But I feel like we had a lot of these same kind of conversations about, you know, styles and about different things back then um, that it was just like an icky thing. But then, you know, you just kind of go like, yeah, but like it just kind of makes sense. Like you when so the big thing that I was going with with Tailwind is that, you know, his big point is um, that you're saying you have a separation of concerns, but you're either writing CSS that mirrors your markup or you're writing markup that mirrors your CSS and they're interlinked, they're intertwined. And Mm -hmm. then when you want to create something that is similar, but slightly different, now what do you do? Do you, you know, have an abstraction further out that, you know, says it's this thing, but it's also now you have another abstraction. Now you call it a media card. And then, you know, what happens when you modify that one slightly? And it's funny because that's exactly what in design. Like we have these components and then we have variants. And literally in Tailwind, they have like component layers and variants, which is exactly what we have in Figma. Like we do the same thing as this thing. And you're just oh. solving it in a different way and a different, you know, pro- but the problem is the same. But it's fascinating yeah. seeing how it's being solved in code versus being solved how we're solving it. And I'm like, this is the same problem. We're having the same problems. <laughs> it's It was fascinating yeah. to see how how reluctant I was to give it a chance to even read about it. And then once I did, I was like, oh no, same, same, same. Yeah, same, same, but different, but same. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Yeah, it's it's so funny because it is kind of divisive, I think, in the developer world because it's like, well, why don't I just do CSS? Why are you trying to obfuscate CSS away? And I like, like first off, I don't think that it does. No, it from, doesn't. From my perspective, mm-hmm. I absolutely have to know CSS to use Tailwind. Yes. Um, but it does like the thing that I really like or appreciate about it, I guess. And I'll caveat that I've never actually used it on a real project. Um, nicknesy.com is the only place I've ever used it. <laughs> the biggest site on and the internet. Awful. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. Yeah. That, that website is awful. Um, but the thing that I really like about it is that it does add in, like for me, not being a real designer, right? It does add in enough constraint for me to be able to like shape something out of that and i'm specifically talking about like it gives me a solid pattern that is i mean it's not impossible but it's more difficult to deviate from in terms of like spacing and font sizes and even like you know font families things like that it's it gives you like a more prescriptive way to set up all of that in these like codified ways and you can configure how those classes are generated with that tailwind config file which i really like um and then I like for things that I might reuse, you know, I can use that at apply yeah, fragment yeah, to like exactly. create custom classes. That's really cool. And it, it just helps me like that is where I think, you know, we we're talking about like, does material constrain you at all? And like, I'm kind of the opposite sometimes with, with code and like things like that, those constraints and working with or around those constraints, I think helps me to be more creative or to express myself more creatively because I'm, following a prescriptive pattern yeah no for sure and you know the interesting thing about that too is um it's this is what i said about it when i when i was thinking about it from exactly that point of view where i started to see that um it's the value that it's talking about is basically um it's giving developers like a design system without having to have a designer define that for you Mm -hmm. um because i mean all those things like i was saying that we set up the the spacing like when i use spacing we use a four point grid but usually it's really in multiples of eight 
Um, so it's really like, mm-hmm. you know, two times the four, you know, whatever. So, um, but, you know, text needs to be aligned maybe on a four point grid. And, you know, again, that a lot of that comes from material and they did a lot of math and a lot of ideas and they, they were like, Hey, this, this number works out real well if you do these things. Um, yep. but you know, and then like, even, um, like, you know, saying, well, a border radius, right? Well, I don't have 16 different random border radii that I use. Like we have the same ones, right? It's like everyone in this project yeah. is four pixels or everyone is eight pixels, right? And, or, and then you mm-hmm. get to a button and it needs to be more. Well, you've just created a scale. And then as the style changes, you can change them all to zero or whatever. Yeah. And then it's squared. Exactly. Like- and so that's the thing is like what Tailwind's really giving people is the ability to have this stuff designed designed and defined for you and then how you mm-hmm. compose the stuff is really the thing because like when in figma when we're doing it we are creating all these things and then we're composing them together into these bigger components and you're doing the exact same thing with tailwind like it is the same thing it's just that you don't have to actually do it all you can modify those properties yeah. but you don't have to you could just start off and you have good defaults and then it's good but you can modify them but it teaches you to think more on scales and to think more about color on a scale like, I don't ever want to think about hex colors, which I think we were talking about before with Figma when you're like, hey, you mm-hmm. know, do I use the inspector to get the text colored? I'm like, I don't ever want a developer to ever have to look at the CSS inspector in Figma. I want them to go, mm-hmm. this is the third one on the dark scale or whatever, you know, on this scale of color, this is the third one. Just use that. And then that's all you yeah. use, you know? <laughs> and so it's just like, don't think about hex values. Don't think about that stuff. It's like, is this the large font? Is it the medium font? Is it the small font? Is it the extra small font? Choose that one. That's the only thing you need to yep. know. And so that's why I think yeah. Till was actually really fascinating when I was reading that. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is the same thing. So, yeah, I'm mm-hmm. actually excited to give it a try now like, as much as. And then also that thing with, the, with apply, right, that, that it's saying, yeah, you can you can mark stuff up and use all those class names, but you probably shouldn't. Like if you're using a thing a bunch of times to define a button, go ahead and make mm-hmm. a button class and use all those defaults and compose your button widget that way. Right. Compose mm-hmm. that class and use that class. And then you just, then now you're just, it's CSS with just, it's an abstraction, right? So it's just, yep. but underneath it all, it's just CSS. <laughs> and then you write your configs. Like it's, I don't know. I get, I get why it makes people stomach churn because it did for me too, for a long time. But then reading oh, the yeah. concepts, I'm like, no, nah, this actually makes a lot of sense. So, and it can be done correctly too. There's like purge CSS, I think yeah. that can go through and see, oh, you're not actually using, you know, the, the text LG 14 or whatever, like the yeah. very large text. So just completely remove that CSS from the build and it's not there. You're not shipping it. It's gone. Yeah. And so there's, there's like practical ways of getting around some of those constraints, but I can also understand that like it does, you have to learn and know CSS really well. And then you have to learn and, or like for me, I just constantly have to have the, the tailwind docs open to look up like, okay, I want, I want this to be a flex box, but then, you know, spacing, like, like I have to look up all of the, that's no different though. That anytime you ever use flex box and having to keep a cheat sheet open, like it's the same thing. (laughs) Touche. Yes. That's true. Okay. Which docs page do you want open? And honestly, to me, (laughs) that is one of the more ridiculous kind of like, and I've seen people actually say that, right? That's like, anytime I do something, I have to look at the docs. I'm like, okay, how many docs, how many tabs do you have open this MDN right now? Like how many, how many other docs are you constantly referencing? Are you telling me, you know, the entirety of every react and all react ecosystem packages and you don't ever look at docs for anything? Like how come when you get to CSS suddenly it's like, oh no, I had to look at the docs. It's like, yeah, you look at docs all day long. Are you telling me you developers do not look at docs? Is that what I'm hearing? Real time follow-up. I have two MDN tabs, (laughs) two material UI tabs, and one TypeScript tab. Yeah. 
Yeah. And you know what? <laughs> Honestly, when I'm designing and I'm using material, guess what I have open? About six different tabs of material spec <laughs> because it is a specification. And a lot of times it's not super clear how exactly you're supposed to like lay out a certain component. And so you go and you look at the, the, the specification and you go and you read the docs. And sometimes the doc is actually in disagreement with their implementation. Their implementation sometimes is wrong <laughs> and the doc spacing says yeah. one thing. The implementation, I've seriously looked at something that the developers did and I was like, hey, the padding's wrong on this. And they're like, well, I took, like we're literally using the actual, not even Material UI, like literally Material, like at Material, we're using their CSS. And I'm like, but it's wrong. And I'm looking at the spec and it says it's this much and on, like it's 24, but on yours, it's 40. And they're like, I look at their CSS and it's like, it, 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 you know, it tells me exactly where it's being included from. And I can see that it's an MPN import of the Material One. I'm like, okay, well their spec's wrong then. Okay, you know, fix it. <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but I designed it this way on a purpose. Um, yeah. <laughs> Cool. Well, I think that um, speaking of continuing learning, uh, we have a very awesome interview with Josh Goldberg from Codecademy. And now, magic music to get us there. I think that's how it works. Let's find out. Right. We are back. Uh, it's me, Nick Nisi. Hoi hoi. Here with Tori. Oh, hi. I don't have a cool catchphrase from another podcast to use. <laughs> and we are joined by Josh Goldberg. Josh, how's it going? Hey, it's good. I'm still trying to think of a cool catchphrase. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. And uh, yeah, so tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, hi, I'm from New York. I'm a front-end developer. Uh, right now I work at Codecademy, where we try to teach people how to code, make education more accessible. Uh, on the side, I really like TypeScript. I've been at the last few TS comps, and I contribute to the language uh, once in a while when they let me. And I'm actually writing a book on TypeScript for O'Reilly, which I'm pretty pumped about. Yeah, that's awesome. And I want to get into that for sure. Um, but yeah, your name definitely comes up a lot. Uh, you've been, you've, you've spoken at TS comp a couple of times, which is really awesome. And uh, your talks are amazing. We'll have links to those in the show notes. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the feature uh, the, well, you've worked on a couple of features, I think, for TypeScript, but there's one in particular that I'm trying to think of. Is it the um, those assertion comments? Is that what it was? Expect error. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. Um, in TypeScript, for a while, they didn't want to add comments you could use to disable the type checker because then people would put comments everywhere, <laughs> and then they found enough use cases being yelled at them that they had to add them in. <laughs> so of course, people started putting the comments in everywhere. Uh, so I added in, with their permission, of course, uh, a type of comment, TS expect error instead of TS ignore, where if it doesn't actually prevent anything, if it's useless for some update reason, then it throws an error itself. So I added a way to get errors about your errors to disable errors in TypeScript. Made me happy. Nice. That's so awesome. Maybe expect error should be my catchphrase. I like it. I'm Tori. Expect Good. errors. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have to use that one with permission from Josh. Josh, you, you have my permission. permission. Please Thank do. You. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> so you mentioned you work at Codecademy, and um, tell us a little bit about what you do there. Do you do you work on the platform? Do you write courses? Do you do both? I used to do both a little bit, but mostly I work on the platform. Um, I helped us set up the TypeScript course. Nice. Uh, though I haven't touched it in a while, so I've I've been meaning to get back and see how it's evolved. 
Uh, but mostly I work on the web platform team, which is the shared design systems toolings team. Nice. So a lot of our work is actually in the open, open source, codecademy.com, uh, pardon me, gamut.codecademy.com. Uh, like we set up the, the buttons, the themes, the, the Next.js infrastructure for the site that then the product teams use, which means I get to yell at people about TypeScript settings, a non-trivial percentage of my day, oh, which is exactly what I want. Yes, that sounds amazing. <laughs> I love yelling at people about things. <laughs> um, Heck yes. <laughs> so tell us about teaching TypeScript. Uh, I think that that's a really interesting topic because it's it's not really its own language, but it kind of is. But there's a lot, like, is there a lot that you have to already have to jump right into TypeScript or like, like in terms of like JavaScript knowledge or is it something that you can learn together or what's your approach to, to teaching it? Oh, that's such a good question. I don't know that there's a one size fits all, but I've definitely never seen it well and successfully done to try to teach teach TypeScript and JavaScript at the same time. Mm -hmm. Maybe maybe in theory one could do it, but there's it's just such a wacky thing to learn JavaScript. Because there, there are two options here. Either you already know JavaScript, sorry, either you already know another language and you're trying to learn JavaScript, mm -hmm. in which case you have to learn things like closures and scope for the first time, or you've never learned a language before and you're learning things like variables and like how to code, and you don't want to teach something on top of JavaScript that adds a, a superset style of functionality. So most of the time I've seen people learn JavaScript, get comfortable with it, and then they learn the concept if they don't already have it of say a static type checker of an IDE feature set. And then they can learn things like interfaces and type unions. And I'm curious, is that how you learned it or how did you come across your first TypeScript thoughts? Mm. Um, that's a tough thing. I, I very begrudgingly came to TypeScript because uh... At first I was like, no, this is just, it's just a fad. It's like a coffee script thing that I won't, nobody will be thinking about in just like a year. And that's clearly not been the case. And I'm very happy that it hasn't because I, I've really seen it. But I think that that's because of the approach that uh, TypeScript has taken, which is embracing, embracing and extending the language, not trying to extinguish it like, like uh, coffee script was. So it's a different he approach. He didn't also have much of a choice because his employer kind of forced him to do it. Um, employer who shall remain nameless yes. uh, said, Hey, uh, I know that you don't like it, but that wasn't really the question. <laughs> um, so no, I, you know, so I obviously don't, well, obviously I say that as if everyone knows me, uh, I, because I'm a designer, I don't really write a lot of JavaScript, but I do actually, uh, dabble in it personally. Um, but if I tried to do that at work, everyone would they would not enjoy me doing that just like i enjoy them designing screens for me <laughs> um hint hint to developers who want to design my screens for me um no but so i, I recently you know have, have been kind of dabbling with it as well but i have a pretty good understanding of javascript in general just being around it for the last 800 years it feels like um and it's definitely one of those things that having that knowledge i couldn't imagine not having that knowledge and going into typescript um, because I, specifically just, although I feel like maybe at times there's a disadvantage to knowing things because I think some of your expectations may be skewed because your model of how type of how JavaScript works can be kind of challenged by TypeScript because, you know, suddenly you declare a variable or you declare something that's, um, 
like a constant and then you go and try to use it, which I know isn't necessarily a TypeScript problem, but you know, things that you normally wouldn't even think of. And all of a sudden, because there's this type check, you, you try to pass something in and suddenly you're getting errors that you never would have encountered before because it would have just done it. The error would be different. You would have gotten an error at some point, but it wouldn't necessarily have been clear what the error was. You would have just seen something go and not a number. You'd be like, hmm, this is NAN. Why is that? You know, whereas now you'll be like, you know, it'll go to compile and it'll say, hey, uh, you're passing a string and we want a number here. So that's not good. Um, so it's kind of an interesting, I personally, yeah, I, I personally just kind of couldn't imagine not knowing the JavaScript, but maybe it's better to sometimes not know the certain aspects of things. Mm -hmm. And when we were, when we were teaching it, um, like the course that we designed was more for it was for JavaScript developers, but it was also right around 2015. So it was like we kind of delineated it as like this is old JavaScript, and then this is ES5 or sorry ES6 JavaScript, and then this is TypeScript on top of that. And so it was kind of learning both of those concepts. Whereas I don't think you really have to make that much of a delineation maybe today, but I could be wrong. Yeah, for sure. We had a moment QAing some of the earlier chapters in my book where we saw that I was using the question mark dot, yeah, the the optional chaining and. Is that an issue? Well, by the time it's released, probably not. Right. But if you look at a lot of the, the TypeScript learning content from the olden days, from around 2015, when TypeScript was around 1x or even 2x, they were emphasizing, even in their official site, you can use classes now. Mm -hmm. And that that was, A, not, not unique to TypeScript uh, that long anymore. And B, that turned a lot of people away who thought, you know, oh, it's TypeScript. It's, it's C-sharp. It's from that C-sharp. <laughs> dude, what's his face, Ander or something. Yeah. And then and then you got this weird stigma in the industry of TypeScript is for Java developers writing JavaScript. So you, you come in with this weird context and it, it turns you away. <laughs> you, let's leave the Angular developers alone. Uh, but yeah, no, <laughs> I agree. And, and like around that time too, it was also like, you could really make the selling point of TypeScript is the way that you can easily get into ES6 plus and also get these extra types. So it was like a nice more curated way than just like here's random Babel plugin a and random Babel plugin b and put those together and hopefully they'll be standard soon it was like you know because they they kind of took that like we're only going to implement things that are like stage three and later it really kind of helped with that as well for sure yeah it's it's definitely much easier to teach now that it's it's as you said adding stuff on top of clean separation rather than intermixing yeah definitely are so, there things that people stumble over that um, that that you kind of notice more often? Like these are the common things that people get caught up on, like syntax or, you know, whatever it may be. Have either of you complained about there not being a name of keyword in JavaScript or TypeScript? What would that do? I don't even know what it would do. Ooh. Oh, my apologies. Uh, so in C Sharp, for example, if you want to throw new error, argument is is null, let's say, when you're null checking an argument. You can do throw new error, parentheses, name of, and then the rest of the string. And the name of would take in the variable. And then it would, in the error string, say the name of the variable. So it's like a nice little way to not have to update that. Mm -hmm. And that such a thing is not really doable in JavaScript or TypeScript because we're a language that gets compiled down, in JavaScript's case, to itself, right? Mm -hmm. So a lot of people come in um, and they want to do things like metaprogramming or they don't understand why interfaces and types aren't available at runtime. So then they get these weird, sometimes obscure messages about how you're trying to access an interface as, a, as an object and they don't, they don't get it. So getting that very clear understanding of all this superset syntax with the exception of like enums, say, is 
not at runtime. It's something that you're adding on just as a developer is a very key early point you have to make mm -hmm. for people. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And do you think, do you feel that that is like really a big stumbling point? Yeah. That's one of the biggest ones, I think. Yeah. But it's also a good stumbling point because it's something you can point at and say, clearly, this is the difference. This is how you know what is good or not. And TypeScript will yell at you in X, Y, Z ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, how important do you think it is to like be at, like, do, do you, um, I guess to rephrase it, do you try and like walk a fine line between being really, really correct with your typing versus like spending a lot of time being really correct on the typing? I'm sorry, I don't follow the question. Like uh, a common argument that I hear when people are getting started with TypeScript is like, oh, you know, I, I'm trying to learn this, you know, utility type that, or, or like a, um, oh, I'm blanking on the name of, of the types. What are the types that like loop through each other? Like a, a conditional type Maps. or a map type. Thank you. Yes. Um, like I'm trying to create this custom map type that will correctly, you know, give me the return value of whatever this is. And a lot of arguments that I hear are like, you know, I spent half a day writing this code that never actually gets run. Oh yeah. <laughs> so what, what was the point? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, one of the nice parts about Codecademy is that although it is an interactive environment, which is like one of the key differentiators between like prior industry norms, um, is that it's still kind of a walled garden where the exercises there are, you, you do these very basic tasks and then there's a project that has a walkthrough. It's not like just going off into the wild. Um, and then the book is similarly, like there's a chapter explaining, these are the things you have to learn, go do them. And if there's code attached, it's just for that. And then people get into the wild and they have this wild and zany set of things. Um, yeah, no, that definitely comes up a lot. I would say that if, in the abstract, if you're spending half a day wrestling with types, unless it's some kind of shared library where those are extremely important, it might not be the most valuable <laughs> expenditure of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that uh, I try to teach those things last. Like, like if I'm trying to teach someone TypeScript, it's not important that, that they understand not just how to use a mapped type, which is a legitimately complex and hard to understand topic. It took me a while mm -hmm. after, after I was at it. I'm still kind of shaky and I talk about it a lot. <laughs> uh, maybe maybe they'll, they'll learn like some of the basic things like records, interfaces with signatures. And then eventually, if they really want to get it perfect, that can be like a bonus chapter type thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, no, map types are cool, but it's not... Like it's so like 99% of the time, a map type, some fancy complex, whatever, binary arithmetic in the type system is not necessary. You shouldn't be doing it. Because if you're on a project and you're writing these ridiculous types that take you half a day to understand as the author, imagine what the rest of your teammates are gonna be going through when they have to read your code and, and get it to work. It's gonna be ridiculous. Yeah, That requires foresight and reflection. And I don't think that's a strong suit for a lot of people who see this thing and go, but yeah, but I wanna do it. And it, and yeah, we, I mean, we don't have reflection in JavaScript yet, right? Yeah, so there you go. So that's the problem. That's the biggest, you know. So again, I'm going to yell about that. That was a good one. I need to drop uh, keys to a drop board. There we go. Because um, I was going to do like the, the little horns when you came on, you know, but, but then I just, I just talk about things I should do and I never actually do them. So that's my life in a nutshell. Um, no, I definitely um, have seen instances where I, uh, you know what, I'm going to strike that and just, I'm just going to back on up. I'm going to put it in my notes here and pretend I didn't just start talking.
Where are we at? 14 something. 14. Corey, shut up. That's my maybe 1410. I'll just go from there. Okay. We'll just go ahead and continue as if I never started talking. <laughs> um, I forgot what I was going to say. I was thinking of something. Well, that literally happened in the middle of my question is that I forgot what it was. So, yeah. Uh, we were talking about Oh yeah. Real professional organization we I'm running here. Regarding those map types, like that is that is something that I struggle with too because at the, like a lot of times I I do want them to be correct even though I mean it's for me, right? Coming back to it later or coming back to it um or or for like a teammate coming back coming across it and like wanting to be correct. And it can be complex and it can be very difficult to read, which is like the the problem, right? Like the your editor will yell at you, but you really can't it's it's hard for you to just look at it and decipher what the type should be sometimes with those map types. Uh, sometimes with like, um, we use a lot of generated types too, like based off of GraphQL schemas and those can be incredibly difficult to read. So it's it's kind of a fine line, but I try to be, to lean on type correctness because then at least the editor can yell at you if you're not correct, um, whenever it's easy. But if it's not, then yeah, try and go, I try and go slightly better than any. <laughs> Yeah, uh, we have a similar issue with our, our auto-generated types where sometimes they're not quite accurate and most of the time you can get them somewhat there. But for example, we auto-generate some GraphQL types from stuff defined in a CMS we use called Contentful. And sometimes it's all marked as always being optional where someone could publish an empty field. But in practice, they're never going to. So although the types say it's optional, it's annoying to add code logic for it. Mm -hmm. So then we added types that you know map over them and make it all required required cursive type stuff and so onboarding someone to that code base and explaining this is a mapped type this is how it works this is why we use it that's like multiple hours of context mm -hmm. so sometimes it's sometimes you need to i don't know you, you need to help people out but it, it can be quite difficult with the more complex features and i really wish types have had custom error messages and types there's an issue somewhere for it and it's just such a weird, difficult topic to get right that they haven't done it, yeah. I think. Yeah, definitely. Error messages in general. Like, I know that they're working on improvements, and I'm excited for that. But they can be, they can be just as hard to parse sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Well, um, is there anything else that you want to tell us about teaching TypeScript uh, that we haven't covered? Yeah, um, I've been very excited lately about DAGs, directed acyclic graphs. Yeah. Um, my, how are you familiar? Is this? I am not. Not too comp sci term. I, I would love you oh, to explain it because I I went to the Wikipedia page and I'm not sure that that was any more helpful. Yeah. No. Uh, my father and the Wikipedia page uh, share a couple of things in common. For one, they both taught graph theory and <laughs> things like DAGs for many years, and the other is that I couldn't understand either of them at first. <laughs> Uh, but a DAG is a type of graph where you can represent everything as, every, let's say, concept and learning uh, as a node, a little point on it, and then any dependencies such as you need to teach arrays before tuples as a directional arrow from one node to another. So it's directed, meaning nodes point to each mm -hmm. other, and it's acyclic. You don't want cycles. You don't want to say feature X understands require requires understanding feature Y, which requires X. It's oh, yeah. a cycle. So I like to, and this is something that a lot of people, especially the curriculum developers at Codecademy do, is I like to map out what I'm teaching as a DAG, as a directed acyclic graph, where the starting nodes are the things the user is expected to already know. The learner might know, let's say, JavaScript and nothing else. 
And then the endpoint is some kind of mapped type in TypeScript. And then you figure out, well, in order to understand types, you need type aliases. And for type aliases, you need a type checker, and so on and so forth. So if you look at, say, the Codecademy TypeScript course or the TypeScript book that I'm writing, like everything goes in an order, which is basically a traversal of some DAG we generated for the concepts, which I think is just a cool way of doing things. Yeah, absolutely. That makes so much more sense than than the graphs I was looking at on Wikipedia. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> so do you, do you find that um, based on what someone might know, you might want to change how you approach teaching a topic, um, which might be difficult given that you don't really know the gaps in what people don't know. And they also probably don't know what they don't know. But you know, if someone comes in with 10 years of JavaScript experience or someone comes in with five years of Java experience or C-sharp experience, you know, there's a difference between those learners and someone who is new to code in general. And yet you have a kind of a course and yet, you, you know, so you want to teach it, but at the same time, how you walk someone through that is very, could be different. Is that, is that something that you, do you just try to do a one size fits all thing or is it, do you, do you eventually, or do you currently go more customized and say, well, if you have this experience, let's walk you through it this way. Yeah. I think you've touched on kind of the quintessential issue with online documentation and any sort of instruction. That's not very small group or one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, how, how do you get good curriculum or content for a particular person? How do you verify that it's good? Um, most online documentation sucks, no offense to most online docs, because they're made by a person and then they're not proofread and they target a particular type of person. So not only do they have quality issues. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The, the author may or may not proofread what they write, who knows. Uh, not only do they have quality issues, they also only appeal to a particular person. But in order to, to QA your content for any particular group, you need to talk to people of that group. So if you're an advanced TypeScript user and you, you don't talk to a lot of new JavaScript to TypeScript folks often, it can be really hard to understand what they need. So not only do you have the problem of trying to target your material to one or more groups of people, it's hard to QA from those groups of people. So yeah, I think that's why we have so many different kinds of courses online, so many different books. O'Reilly has like three intro TypeScript books, I think, mm. or, or soon will, targeting different people. And I think that's really the only way you can do it. You have to segment yourself as the learner. Am I the Java person, the JS expert, the new to code, whatever, and then somehow use the vague online resources to find the right path for you, which is tough. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe they should have like a, a DAG that lets you look at, you know, what <laughs> you don't know, and then you can walk back to where you do know something and then go from there with the... Such a good startup idea. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, it really is. I, you know, recently was working on something just for my own personal uh, use uh, because I encountered a situation where a tool didn't exist, but the data existed. And I just wanted to calculate these these things. And so I just wanted a, an easy way to select a few things and drag a slider and it would tell me, you know, what the what all the thing is in all these different uh, data arrays. And I, I realized that there were some huge gaps in my own personal knowledge that I didn't quite realize those gaps existed until I tried to do it. And then I thought, boy, as I repeat this code over and over again, there must be some better way to do this. But the biggest problem was, I don't know what that's called. And you know, so it's like, I, I know just enough to be dangerous and that I can write stuff that works. But then once you, you'd never want to use any of that code for anything real. Um, that's why you leave it to other people to write the code. But I would love to learn that stuff. And then it gets hard to know because I know 
a very broad set of things, but not very deep. And then you go, okay, so how am I going to learn this without feeling like I'm wasting a ton of time learning? This is how you declare a variable. I'm like, yeah, I know all that stuff. Like, how do you do, like, where am I missing the knowledge? So it'd be really nice if there was a way to go, hey, I, w- I would love to, uh, here's what I know. Now tell me the stuff I don't know. Um, yeah, startup idea. Someone go make that because um, I can't. I'm busy. I have things to do. Well, and on that note, um, if you want to learn how to implement that idea, uh, definitely check out some courses at Codecademy, uh, especially the TypeScript courses and the TypeScript material. That's really great. And Josh, um, tell us a little bit more about your book. Is it, um, it's yet to be released. Is that right? Yes. I'm so excited. I'm telling people about it way too early. Uh, (laughs) Scheduled for late summer, early fall 2022. But there's an early access preview online if you want to read the first few chapters Excellent. in a very rough, somewhat edited form. Excellent. That was what I was going to ask if there was like, uh, if, if it was. I'm guessing those will be in. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Yes. And um, yeah, Josh, thanks so much for coming on and chatting with us today. And uh, yeah, have a great day. Thanks for having me. All right, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. You can find us online at talkscript.fm. You can subscribe or follow the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods casted to. The theme music is by Rabbit at rabbitthevan.com. Gonna see where the day goes. Take it fast, take it real slow. We got a good